What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Run the Damn Pod. I'm your host, Jordan, joined as always by Darth Cowboy. Darth Cowboy repping the Braves today with some pearls on his head. <clears throat> it's Jocktober, and he's a bad bitch, so it's time to get into some college football action before we sit down and watch the Braves in the World Series tonight. I'm not going to say anything more on that front because you guys know how I am about superstitions, so I'm just going to shut my mouth. I'm going to get into some of the UGA action, as we always do. Big rivalry game with Florida over the weekend. I'm going to start off with that. Obviously have a lot to say, as anybody who saw me over the weekend knows. Already got a lot on my mind for that game. I'm going to look back at the game of the week. A um, couple, well, a couple, a Heisman front runner and potentially a, a playoff favorite at this point, taking part in our game of the week over the weekend. I'm going to take a look briefly at a couple of underrated and overrated teams, but actually really going to dive into, if you follow me on Twitter, I released my personal week one first CFP ranking. It's not really week one. It's week eight or nine at this point. Um, but my first CFP rankings, I came out with those last night on Twitter. So going to dive into those a little bit um, more so than the overrated underrated. Then we're going to check the stock market. I'm going to move into our players of the week. Check out an interesting stat. Check out the hot seat, some hot takes and my picks. Wrap everything up with looking forward towards next week's action. So before we all get or before we get started with everything, go ahead and remind you to follow me over on Twitter, Instagram at Run the Damn Blog. Subscribe to the podcast over at Run the Blog CF or sorry, subscribe to the blog over at Run the Blog CFB dot com and then subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Hit me up for the link if you need it. So without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump into the Georgia-Florida action over the weekend. World's largest outdoor cocktail party down in Jacksonville. A, um, annual, one of the best rivalries in college football, in my opinion, if for no other reason than for the atmosphere down there in Jacksonville. Between Frat Beach, the tailgating, TIA, Bankfield, Everbankfield, whatever you want to call it. Um, great time down there in Jacksonville. Sad I wasn't able to make it down this year. But a good game nonetheless. Always a fun rivalry. Um, and really one of those rivalries that there's no love lost. There's no friendship between the two. They just kind of hate each other. Um, so always really fun to see um, good, passionate college football game like that. So getting into some of the action for Georgia, um, you know, you guys are going to probably uh, have my head for this one. Um, it's hard to call a 34-7 to win ugly. I hate doing that. I know I sound like a stuck-up Alabama fan over here. But it was an ugly win. If you're going to break it down, that gets a lot closer than the score would suggest. Keep in mind that with just over two minutes left in the half, it was three to nothing Florida. Or I'm sorry, not three to nothing Florida, three to nothing Georgia. Georgia um, was anemic on offense. The defense was clamping down, but you could tell it was getting tired. They were on the field a lot. Um, so things were not going Georgia's direction heading into the end of the second quarter, heading towards halftime. Um, defense really turned things around there with a couple of huge plays, two by Nolan Smith, one by Nicobe Dean, a big pick six to close out the half. Um, really got things on the right track for Georgia, got them off to a 24 to nothing lead at halftime and never really looked back from there. But again, the offense was pretty ugly. It looked anemic for the first half. They really got nothing going. Stetson Bennett did capitalize on Nolan Smith's interception with a nice touchdown pass to Kiaris Jackson. Really good ball, really good catch by Kiaris as well. But other than that, kind of looked like a deer in the headlights. Um, looked confused all game. The run game was solid, almost 200 yards, 193 yards and 5.8, so almost six yards per carry. So the run game looked good, really kind of put the um, put the struggles on their back and kind of took matters into their own hands, especially Zamir White with 105 yards and a touchdown to seal it for Georgia. Um, but at the end of the day, Florida did outgain Georgia, 355 to 354. 
which I don't necessarily knock the defense for. Florida's got a great rushing attack. They held uh, Anthony Richardson under 200 yards passing. Pretty impressive there. Florida's going to get their yards. Um, you know, I know the defense is probably a little disappointed in themselves giving up that many yards, but I think that's more of an indictment on the offense. Like I said, questionable decisions kind of across the board from Stetson Bennett on both of his picks. Misreading the defense or not accounting for the safety on both of those plays. Um, Rashad Torrance had himself a day picking off Stetson Bennett, so he, like I said, he kind of looked confused all day from the second he stepped out there. Um, again, he was able to do enough to get the job done. He made plays when he needed them, hitting Darnell Washington early on to convert a first down. Also, hitting Brock Bowers on a screen pass went for 38 yards. And like I said, that great um, touchdown catch by Kiaris Jackson. All good plays. Um, but again, questionable decision-making, grounding penalty, cost Georgia points. Jack Podlesny's got to be better from inside the 40-yard line, nailing those field goals, getting those easy three points. Could have made a difference in momentum. Um, but again, some questionable decision-making from Bennett, which is kind of the first time we've seen that to this point in the season. He shook off some rust in the Vanderbilt game and had a couple questionable calls there. But since then, like I've said in the past, has been very efficient, just was not efficient on Saturday. I think ended up 10 or 11 for 19 passing, 161 yards, sounds right. Um, one touchdown, two interceptions. So not a great stat line. Um, not going to get into the JT Daniels weeds. Anybody that knows me knows my stance on that. I don't need to say it on public air. Um, so just going to move forward with hoping JT Daniels is healthy by the time this team wraps up the season and looks towards the now clinched SEC championship berth and hopefully the college football playoff. Thing I will say for the offense too is the team is still not healthy. Jermaine Burton, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Sain, Arian Smith, Dominic Blaylock, George Pickens, all still limited or out in some capacity. So really no telling when those guys are going to come back and come back healthy, especially when it comes to Blaylock and Pickens. You're hearing that Burton, Smith, and Jack Sain are improving every week. You're hearing the same thing about Dom and Pickens. It's all bullshit lines from Kirby Smart that they're better this week than they were last week. Yeah, you know what, Kirby, we're one week closer to Thanksgiving, too. So um, you're not really doing us any favors with those. How about we just keep it at they are progressing. They're doubtful to play this weekend. Um, you know, I don't know that. I'm not saying that. But I, I have a feeling we're not going to be seeing, especially Dom or Pickens, anytime in the near future here. Um, again, offense still not healthy. So really hoping to get those guys back towards the end of the season when the games really start to count. Um, not that every game doesn't count, but when you're talking about SEC championship playoff, things like that, you need to be healthy. So hoping to see those guys later on this season. You said defense is still incredible. Um, you know, I do think the defensive line was probably disappointed giving up a few big chunk plays to Florida on the running game. But at the end of the day, they made plays when they had to. A couple missed field goals from Florida. Again, kept the score down. Only gave up seven points, yet to give up more than 14 on the season. Georgia averaging giving up 6.6 points per game. That actually drops down to in the fives if you take out the defensive touchdown that South Carolina scored on a pick six early in the season. Um, so defense playing lights out as always. I maintain, though, and this is one of those stances that you're not going to change my mind on, the defense is incredible. It's historic. They're going to keep Georgia in every game, but you will eventually have to score. When you're playing Alabama, when you're playing Oklahoma, Ohio State, even Michigan State, you cannot bank on holding those teams to less than 14 points. Even if it's 21 points, even if it's 28 points, the score that, you know, the 28 to 21 game, that really doesn't look bad as a defensive effort on paper is when I was going I'm not confident that Georgia can go toe to toe with an Oklahoma, especially with an Ohio state, maybe with an Alabama 
on offense. Um, the defense is going to get scored on here eventually. The offense, to this point, has really only had to score more than seven points to win the game. That's not going to be the case all season, especially, like I said, as you go into the SEC championship and potentially the playoff. And one that people keep forgetting about, Tennessee. Hendon Hooker looking like one of the best quarterbacks in college football playing that game in Neyland Stadium. It's going to be a raucous crowd. You're going to have to score some points there, too. So just a cautionary tale. Now, while the defense is historic and world-beating, Georgia will have to score eventually. All of that naysaying, all of that pessimism to say, regardless, beating Florida is always a good look. And most importantly, the team seems to have the right mental makeup at this point in the season. You've seen Georgia potentially in the years past kind of play down to their competition. Doesn't seem to be the case this year. Georgia's wanting to go out there and manhandle and beat the crud out of every team they're playing so really good to see from them and they punched their ticket to atlanta this week with kentucky's loss to mississippi state and george went over florida they will be going to the sec championship likely to be playing alabama but could still be alabama texas a&m or auburn um no one has clinched the west yet so see how that plays out see who george's opponent is um and hopefully they'll be healthy heading into that game moving on from all the georgia stuff we're going to get into our game of the week over the weekend, uh, Michigan State-Michigan game was billed as the, you know, kind of premier matchup of the weekend, and it certainly lived up to the high of college game day up there. Really electric atmosphere up in East Lansing, football weather up there in Michigan. Really kind of an exciting game to watch as far as Big Ten games go. It was gritty Big Ten football, but ended up being high scoring. I really enjoyed watching that game. Michigan State's comeback win down, I believe, 30-14 to 14 at one point in the third quarter. Comes back on the back of Kenneth Walker III, my now Heisman front runner, carried the team on his back for the second half of that game. All told, had 197 yards and five touchdowns. This will not be the last you hear about him from me or from the national media. Kenneth Walker is the truth. That man single-handedly led a 16-point comeback against Michigan at home. Really impressive performance from Kenneth Walker. Currently, right now, I know we don't give out MVPs. I know you give out the Heisman, the Gursky Trophy, the Blitnikoff Award. There's no MVP award for college football per se. If I'm handing out an MVP right now, it is to Kenneth Walker. He's the most valuable player to his team in the country. All you have to do is watch the highlights of that Michigan-Michigan State game over the weekend and realize that that team, Michigan State, does not win that game without Kenneth Walker. And you can point to several games over the course of this season that that's been the case. I truly can't remember another running back so valuable to his team since, I'm trying to think, Derrick Henry. You could make the argument that Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle as a tandem were that important to Georgia in 2017. Um, but as far as a single player goes, being that valuable to his team, you've really got to look back to running back-wise. You've got to look back to Derrick Henry, potentially Christian McCaffrey. Um, but Derrick Henry's the last I can remember carrying his team to the kind of level of success that Kenneth Walker has to this point in the season. Um, super impressed by him, needless to say, and super impressed with the grit shown by Michigan State to not give up down 16 points. Michigan State, Mel Tucker's got that team in a great position right now. Currently, they're my number two team. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, but really liking what I'm seeing out of Michigan State. And if you go catch the highlights of that game over the weekend, really, really fun to watch. So moving on from that, 
briefly touching on a couple overrated and underrated teams in the AP, but honestly, we're going to throw the AP in the trash this week because the inaugural CFP rankings come out tonight. As I'm recording this podcast, I believe we're still an hour, hour and a half away from the initial rankings. So I'm also going to take a stab at what my personal rankings would be should I have a ballot in the CFP or, you know, if, if I was sitting in the CFP committee room, how I would rank the current top six teams right now before the playoff and the first two out. So overrated in the AP, Oregon at seven and Baylor at 14, both seem generous. Argue with Wall, it, it just kind of seems like those two teams are not playing up to their rankings. Um, and then underrated Michigan State is number two to me and Ohio State is number four to me. So a little bit undervalued on both of those in the AP. But like I said, AP out the window, it's gone. No need to uh, worry yourselves with that anymore. The inaugural CFP rankings come out tonight, November 2nd. As I said, as of the recording of this podcast, they have not dropped yet. So this is a prediction. This is not an analysis of what those rankings look like. So mine will look different, probably, inevitably, than what the initial top 25 CFP rankings look like. But without any further ado, my top or my top six would be number one, Georgia. Number two, like I said, Michigan State. Number three, I would slide in Alabama. Number four, Ohio State. Number five, Oklahoma. And number six, Cincinnati. Now, I know this is going to be controversial. And I'll listen to any argument for numbers two through six. I get it. Those are really interchangeable when it comes to numbers two through six. And you could even argue back through the top 10, things could shuffle around a good bit. This is my personal logic for why I have the top six like this. I have Michigan State's win over Michigan as a more impressive win than Cincinnati's over Notre Dame. The Notre Dame loss looks good on paper, but you've got to remember that that's a team that almost lost to Florida State, who's in absolute shambles right now. Notre Dame is Ranking is really a product of the schedule that they've played to this point in the season. I'm not overly impressed with Notre Dame. Still think it's a very quality win for Cincinnati on the road, but Michigan has looked much better than Notre Dame. So I take Michigan State's win over Michigan as kind of more of a feather in their cap than Cincinnati's over Notre Dame. Look, at the end of the day, guys, you may love this. You may hate this. I'm sorry, but Alabama's Alabama, and that matters. That road loss to A&M looks good. They have blown through everybody else on their schedule except one game in Kyle Field at Texas A&M, a game that, remember, preseason, everybody kind of talked up as the SEC West Championship, that that would be the kind of premier matchup, and that Texas A&M may finally have the tools to beat Alabama. They did. Alabama learned their lessons. Nick Saban did what he did be- does best. He made adjustments, and they moved on, and they are blowing the shit out of any team they've played from here on out. So really not too concerned about Alabama. I do have them at number three right now. Number four, I have Ohio State. Ohio State, since their loss to Oregon, has looked like the best offense in the country. I know kind of a gritty, hard-fought win over Penn State over the weekend. They've played some cellar dwellers, bottom feeders, if you will, from the Big Ten. Blown the shit out of them. So maybe you can argue strength of schedule, strength of record isn't as impressive as an Oklahoma or a Cincinnati or certainly a Georgia or Michigan State. But I love the way they've looked in their week since their loss to Oregon, and that Oregon loss still holds up pretty well. The really controversial part of this top six, I think, is Oklahoma and Cincinnati and number five and six, first two out. Keep in mind, this isn't a projection of where I think the final four and final six will fall. This is just as I sit right now looking at the best teams in the country. Oklahoma and Cincinnati are both very much in the race, very much in the playoff race, and I think Cincinnati may deserve it more, really even than Ohio State, or Oklahoma, 
Um, but as of right now, close calls against really bad teams for both Oklahoma and Cincinnati dropped them a bit. They both had relatively close calls over Tulane. I get it. Cincinnati did end up beating Tulane by multiple scores. They did not cover, though, and going into the fourth quarter, they uh, sorry, Tulane was still very much in that game. So if we're going to play that card with Alabama, with Tennessee being in the fourth in the game heading into the fourth quarter, with Florida making it a two-point game, I'm going to play that game with Cincinnati as well. They haven't passed the eye test the past couple of weeks. And Oklahoma's Oklahoma. I mean, this just is pretty self-explanatory. It's been this way all season. They can barely pull out wins against Kansas, against Tulane. It's really embarrassing. But they're undefeated, which keeps them in the full you know, an undefeated Big 12 champion is probably going to make the playoff even with a couple of ugly, embarrassing wins. So by no means are they out, but I personally greatly value the eye test. And the four teams that I have ahead of Oklahoma and Cincinnati have passed the eye test to me. Georgia, obviously. Michigan State, obviously. Alabama and Ohio State have both grown and learned from their losses. And I value their resume just a little bit more than I do Oklahoma and Cincinnati. So that's my top six in order. Georgia, Michigan State, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Cincinnati. But again, any order, any permutation of two through six, I really see an argument for. I'm not going to pretend this is set in stone. This is just the way I would vote. So a little controversial maybe, but that's where I would have it set up now. And again, not predictive necessarily of what I think the committee's inaugural rankings will look like just a personal sentiment for how I would rank them were I in that room. So moving on from that, going to check the stock market here, see who's trending up and who's trending down. Trending up right now, I think Mel Tucker, speaking of Michigan State, this is going to be a Michigan State fanboy podcast. I really like what they're doing right now. Um, Mel Tucker got a signature win at home over a ranked Michigan team who was favored to beat them. Really on a national stage, huge priority game for him. He's now looking like a hot commodity for LSU. I really don't know that he's going to have any interest in moving on from Michigan State. I was talking with my boy Hunter Thompson about this over the weekend. At Michigan State, he can go. I mean, he can slip up this year, go 10-2, and and that's still a great season by Michigan State standards. Mel Tucker's probably in his ideal position there where he can make a run at the Big Ten every couple of years. He can pull out 10 wins. Maybe he does go undefeated this year. Maybe he goes 11-1 and and makes a push for the playoff. That's good enough for Michigan State. If you bring Mel Tucker down to LSU, the expectation is going to be year one, year two, year three. You're competing for SEC championships against Alabama and moving on to the playoff. That scares me a little bit if I'm Mel Tucker. But again, he's trending up because he's a hot commodity for one of the two best jobs in college football at this point in time. So he's got his potential playoff momentum. He's cementing himself as a great Big Ten coach. I don't know that I would move on if I was him, and that's not what this segment is about, but Mel Tucker is really trending in the right direction right now as a coach up at Michigan State. After that win over Ole Miss, I also have Auburn trending up. They have great wins over both Arkansas and Ole Miss since losing to Georgia. They do still, remember, control their own destiny and play Alabama at home this year. Should Auburn win out, should they beat Texas A&M this weekend and beat Alabama at home in the Iron Bowl? Auburn's in the SEC championship, guys, playing Georgia, who, if you'll remember, in 2017, Auburn stomped Georgia at home in the regular season. Georgia came back and got their revenge in the SEC championship. It's tough to beat a team twice in the season. Auburn goes into that SEC championship with nothing to lose playing Georgia. They seriously have a shot at the playoff, guys. Now, again, they do have to play Alabama. They do have to play Texas A&M. Everything could go down in flames this weekend. You'll see how I pick that a little later on in the podcast. But as of this point in time, 
Auburn controls their own destiny with a first-year head coach and no semblance of an offensive line. That's really impressive to see what Auburn's doing. Bo Nix, for all of the you know memery around him this year, Bo Nix does look like a man on a mission. I would never count this Auburn team out. You fear the man with nothing to lose. Auburn right now is 100% the man with nothing to lose. So they're trending up right now. That could very easily change over the weekend, but right now, Auburn's trending up. Who's trending down? Well, number one, James Franklin. James Franklin is an absolute bitch. Complaining about fans booing from injured players a couple weeks ago. You go back several years when he walked out on Vandy, brings Penn State back to relevance, and now it looks like he's going to walk out on them midseason. I mean, James Franklin cannot get his shit together. It is unbelievable to me. If you've watched the press conference, if you've heard about the press conference, after um, – after Penn State's overtime, eight overtime, seven or eight overtime loss to Illinois the other week, he's asked about it, and James Franklin says his focus, he triples down on this, says his focus is on playing Illinois that coming weekend in the big house. Well, let's dissect that a little bit. Number one, you just lost to Illinois, so you're not playing him again, and you better be damn happy you're not playing him again. Number two, you're playing Ohio State, which... That's obvious in and of itself, but Ohio State doesn't even play in the big house. That's Michigan, big man. So James Franklin's got no idea what's going on. I get it. High stakes, you know, or not high stakes, but high pressure environment after you just lost an overtime game to Illinois. I get it, but don't get that discombobulated, man. I mean, that's a little bit inexcusable to triple down on playing the wrong opponent and call the shoe the big house. I mean, he, he seems to be checked out, raising a lot of questions on whether or not he's even committed to the team. Looks like a favorite for that USC job. He may bring Penn State back to relevance and then walk right out on them. So not a huge fan of that. Not a huge fan of James Franklin as a whole. His stock is trending down for me. And number two, the Texas Falcons. No, Texas Longhorns. Sorry, they remind me too much of the Falcons blowing all of these fourth quarter leads. Three consecutive fourth quarter leads blown by Texas. Unbelievable job by Steve Sarkeesian just Taking a page out of Falcon's book where he coached two years ago, he knows exactly how to blow a lead and he knows how to do it right. So Texas leads, trending down. You guys in the state of Texas and the city of Austin, you guys better watch out. If you start getting a double-digit lead, tell your team to turn the ball over. You guys want to play from behind from here on out. No more leads for Texas. So Texas leads are trending down, and Texas itself is kind of trending down as well, but fully different conversation. So... Moving on to my players of the week, really simple this week. It's Kenneth Walker who wins that game for Michigan State with 197 yards and five touchdowns on 23 carries. Ices the game for Michigan State over Michigan. And then Caleb Williams with 402 yards and six touchdowns on 23 of 30 passing. I hold the short season against him. He replaced the bench Spencer Rattler a few games into the season, only has two or three games under his belt. But he does have a legit case for the Heisman if they can break their playoff woes. He'll play the majority of the season. He does have that case. Again, still not overly impressed with Oklahoma at this point in the season. But there's a lot of football left to play, and I'm overly impressed with Caleb Williams. He looks fantastic to this point in the season. So... Moving on, quick little stat for you guys. UGA's defense is allowing the fewest points per game since the 2011 Alabama defense, duly noted as one of the greatest of all time. One of the goats out there in Tuscaloosa from Dick Saban and Kirby Smart, so really impressive from Georgia. Like I said, it's about 5.5 to 5.8 points per game, something in that range. If you take out the offensive touch or 
yeah, offensive touchdown, um, offensive responsible touchdown in the South Carolina game, 6.6 if you take everything else into account. So cool little stat there. Moving on to the hot seat. Who's on the hot seat this week? Well, it's it's Dan Mullen. Um, you know, I hate to say it. I'm going to give him a break. But Dan Mullen is, I believe, officially on the hot seat. I give him a break personally because Dan Mullen's a QB whisperer, and he needs time with Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson is a great potential talent, but you've got to remember, he was ranked as a low four-star coming out of high school or a mid-four-star coming out of high school. He's not going to come in week one starting and beat the number one team in the country. That, that kind of expectation is unreasonable to me. So give Mullen some time with Anthony Richardson. He is a good ball coach. He is a good quarterback guy. Um, but these recruiting comments he made yesterday, the day before, are very rough in the wake of these decommitments, saying he doesn't want to talk about recruiting. When it's recruiting season, they'll talk about recruiting. Right now we're in the middle of the season. Now, I will say, I think it's taken a little bit out of context. I get what he's saying. I think he's saying that in that particular moment, he wanted to talk about the game itself, did not want to talk about recruiting in that particular moment. I do believe that Dan Mullen knows that recruiting is a year-round game, but regardless, your comments taken in or out of context um, are, are pretty rough. And I do think that that's, that's going to haunt Dan Mullen a little bit. And, I mean, it's a tabloid. It's a um, – I'm trying to think of the word. It's a uh, bulletin board material. For the media and for Florida fans calling first head. So I do think that Dan Mullen is on the hot seat a little bit. Um, something to watch. Cancel all the media sessions for the rest of the year. There's some weird stuff going on in Gainesville. But again, I give him a break. We'll see how things look moving forward. So moving on from that, I have my hot takes for this week. Um, two weeks ago, like I said, I, I took kind of a bye week with Georgia. So I took last week off. But my hot take from two weeks ago was that App State would beat Coastal. Absolutely nailed it. Two for, or One and two on hot takes on the season now. So App State beating Coastal was huge for me. Love to see that. Shout out to the Mounties. This week, my three hot takes this week. Number one, LSU covers on the road against Alabama. Number two, we're going to have to wait for the rest of the season and see this, but I do think Ohio State wins out and makes the playoff as a two or three seed. And number three, I think UNC will beat undefeated Wake over the weekend. Um, should be a pretty close game. Wake undefeated. I'm not going to tell you they're overrated, but I do think that North Carolina probably has what it takes to take down Wake Forest at the weekend. Um, trap game coming into this weekend, Liberty at Ole Miss. Hugh Freeze's homecoming. Now the head coach at Liberty was previously the whole head coach at Ole Miss. So Hugh's homecoming. I think Malik Willis for Liberty is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. And Ole Miss is trending down after the recent hot start. So something to keep an eye on. Moving on to my picks for the weekend games, I'm going to be watching and updating you on where I'm at for the season. In my previous picks, I went 5-1 and one the week after I went 2-6, and six, bringing me to 7-7 seven and seven on the season and even 500. So games I'll be watching this weekend, and I'll pick for you. UGA and Missouri, I'm still not picking. I'm still not picking Georgia. I won't do it the rest of the way. Get over it. Um, I'm picking Ohio State over Nebraska. I'm picking North Carolina over Wake Forest. I'm picking Michigan State over Purdue. Texas A&M over Auburn. Like I said, Auburn's trending up right now and does control their own destiny, but I think Texas A&M's got that one covered in Kyle Field. Tough place to play, tough place to win. I think A&M kind of steps on the hopes of Auburn fans. I think it's a little too much to ask to go in and beat them at this point. So A&M over Auburn. Obviously, Bama over LSU, but I do think they cover. I'm not saying it's close. I think it spreads like 28 at this point. I'm not saying it's a close game. I'm just saying they're going to cover. 
I do have Tennessee beating Kentucky. Kentucky, the rails fell off a little bit after their loss to Georgia. Seems to be a, a theme with teams that lose to Georgia that the rails fall off a little bit there. Look at Clemson. Look at Arkansas. Now maybe look at Kentucky. I do think they're going to lose to Tennessee. Like I said, Hendon Hooker, one of the best quarterbacks in college football, if you ask me. So really like what I'm seeing out of Tennessee. And then picking Oregon over Washington. So that's what I'm watching this weekend. That's what I'm picking. Look forward to breaking it down with you guys next week again. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. Hit me up for the link if you need it. Subscribe over on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and we'll talk to you next week. Cheers and go dogs.